Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. To Colossians chapter 3, we believe in the authority of God's word. We believe that it is God's word that changes lives, not men's words, not women's words, not what we have to say. And so we have come and we have gathered to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and then we have come to allow his word to come to bear on our lives. So each and every week, this is part of our rhythm, this is what we do. We allow the word of God to do the speaking. And so I want to read a paragraph here, the next paragraph We finished up at the end of uh, verse 11, where we learned last week that Christ is all and in all, and now we want to pick it up in verse 12. We'll read down through the end of this paragraph, verse 17. Follow along with me, if you would, as I read. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, And patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I've entitled this message, Church Life. Church Life. The big idea that sits over top of this text, each week I give one of these just to help us to understand the through line of the paragraph. The big idea over top of this text is this, Jesus above all will permeate life inside the church. Jesus above all will permeate, it will infiltrate, it it will be sensed, it will be felt, it will be seen through the body life, everything that's going on on the inside of the church. When Jesus is truly above all, It will permeate everything inside the church. Have you had a chance yet to visit the new Shields at Chandler Fashion? Have you guys been there yet? How many of you have been there, the new Shields? How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Wow. Okay, so... Those, those from like the West, Shields isn't really a thing. The, the Midwesterners in the room, you're going to know Shields, okay? Uh, you, you've, you've experienced Shields. Shields is a sporting goods store. Think like Dick's Sporting Goods, Bass Pro Shop, but like on a totally different level, completely. And so we started to hear about Shields kind of going up there. We, we, we live down in, in the Chandler area, and so we would go down to Chandler Fashion Mall. And honestly, I was a little skeptical at first. Uh, department stores are kind of going out of business because all of us are shopping on Amazon now. And so when I started to see the steel go up for this massive sporting goods store, I'm like, "Uh, I hope somebody knows what they're doing. Well, it didn't take very long for us to realize that somebody kind of had a good idea what they were doing. 
And so several months ago, I think it was in September, they opened up this new sporting goods store called Shields. And on their opening day, they had over a thousand people visit that store. And so finally, our family got in the car, we went down there, and on one of the times that we went down there, we couldn't even find a parking spot. We ended up having to park on the other side of the mall and walk through the mall to get to Shields. The square footage of the entire Chandler Fashion Mall is one million square feet, and Shields is a quarter of a million square feet. So a quarter of the entire mall is this massive superstructure of a sporting goods store. And so when we went there, we started to experience what life inside Shields is like. And really, it's no accident. They've got a pretty high and lofty goal. If you go to their website, their mission statement, if you will, is our goal is to be the best retailer. I mean, that's, that's, you can't get any better than that, right, folks? I mean, they want to beat Bass Pro Shop and Dick's Sporting Goods and all the rest of them. They want to be the best. And so they have some values that they live by that help them to achieve that goal. And everything about life inside Shields, you experience these values. One of them I read this week is we strive for excellence. And it really doesn't matter whether you're like mountain biking or scuba diving or you're going to the beach or you're into ice hockey or you're into football. Whatever, whatever type of an enthusiast you are, they are going to have your product and they're going to have the best products for you in what you're doing and what you're, what you're going for. We strive for excellence. Another one of their values is we are experts. So when we went to the bike shop, there was actually a bike repair shop inside the bike section of that store so that the people who are selling you your bikes, they're not the summer, you know, interns who are just trying to make a little extra money. Like, they're repairing the bikes. They know the bikes. They can answer your questions about the bikes. They're experts. But probably the value that exceeds all of the other values, that when you walk into Shields, you will, you will notice this right away, is the value that we provide an experience. They're all about the experience. So when you walk into Shields, you can go this afternoon if you want, there is a 16,000 gallon saltwater aquarium that is like an archway to the entrance. So you're walking under the aquarium. And when we went, there was a scuba diver in the aquarium, like doing selfies and stuff with people who were walking into the store. Then once you walk under the aquarium and into Shields, you will encounter the two-story Ferris wheel that they are famous for. And for $1, you can ride the Ferris wheel before you go buy your rollerblades or your ice skates or whatever you're there to do. They have, a, they, have, uh, they have arcades in there. They have a bowling alley in there. They have like this, this uh, wildlife mountain in there where you can go and see all the stuffed animals, the real animals that have been stuffed. You can go to the, you can go to the restaurant. They make their own fudge. They're all about the experience. Life inside Shields is all about the experience. So if, if you're a family of young kids like we are and you're looking for like a three-hour experience where if you don't buy anything, you can still have a good time, Shields is your place to go. Their goal, which is to be the best retailer, permeates everything about life inside Shields. I wonder this morning, what should life inside the church be like? What should people experience when they walk into a gathering of people who call themselves followers of Jesus? If we were to list three or four or five things that we would say, boy, this is what life inside the church should be like, how do we know we're even hitting the right target? Life inside the church must be in line with God's design for the church, which probably means that we're not going to have a Ferris wheel anytime soon. As exciting as that might be, 
Life inside the church must follow God's design because it's God's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. He is the head of the church. It's his. So it must follow his design for the church. But life inside the church is also going to involve every one of us. The, 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 the church will not be what God intends it to be if all of us collectively do not embody it. It's not going to be about one person or two people or even half of the people in the room embodying life inside the church. It's going to be every one of us being who God has called us to be as the church in order for life inside the church to be what God has designed and desired it to be. So what Paul is sharing with us in our paragraph of Scripture this morning, he is going to kind of pull back the curtain, if you will, and he is going to show us life inside the church and what it should look like, not if the goal is to be the best department store, but if the goal is to be Jesus above all. So when the goal is Jesus above all, that goal should permeate everything about life inside this room. Life inside the relationships between the people here at City Point Church. So Jesus, above all, will permeate life inside the church. There are four characteristics right in this paragraph that help us to see sort of the values, if you will, that will be true when Jesus, above all, is permeating life inside the church. The outline is going to look like this. When, in the church, Jesus is above all, here they are, number one, when in the church, Jesus is above all, number one, we are clothed in the character of Jesus. This is verse 12. We are clothed in the character of Jesus. He says, put on then as God's, listen to this, chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's gospel identity right there. We have been chosen in Christ. We are now holy, which means set apart, and we are beloved. We are his loved ones. Put on then as the people of God, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. If you were here last week, Paul was on a roll with lists. He's continuing that this week. Last week's lists were negative. Guess what? This week's list is positive. These are the things that we are to put on, not just the things that we are to put off, which was last week. So here's the list. Five things again. Compassionate hearts. That's feeling deeply the hurts and needs of other people. Kindness. That is the good and proper outward expression towards others. Then he says humility, which is the good and proper expression towards yourself. It is the proper disposition and understanding of yourself. Then he says meekness, which is how we should approach people, how we should approach situations. I've heard that word described as strength under control. And then he says patience. If meekness is how we should approach people, patience is how we should respond to people and situations. Patience. But this is not just some arbitrary list of desirous quality traits for civilized people. But this is actually a list of qualities that are embodied by Jesus himself. Jesus embodies this list of five quality traits that Paul lists here. And so Jesus embodied a compassionate heart when he saw the multitudes who had, who had been listening to the teaching and listening to the preaching, but they hadn't eaten. And rather than sending them away, his heart was moved with compassion towards them, and he said to the disciples, I want you to find a solution to feed them. Jesus embodied kindness when he entered into the home of a chief tax collector that everybody else had pushed out. Everybody else had said, he's too far gone to be saved. He's too far gone to be redeemed and to be reached. Jesus had the kindness in his heart to go into that man's home and to have a meal and to sit at his table and to identify with him. Jesus embodied humility when, as the master, he washed the feet of his students. 
Jesus embodied what it means to be meek when he joyfully received the children. Even though the disciples were saying, don't take time for them, send them away. You've got other people, more important people that need to be tended to. And Jesus embodied patience when, after Peter denied him three times, Jesus made him breakfast and sat down with him on the shore and three times said to him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? As he reinstated Peter into ministry for Christ. See, this list of qualities is about Christ being formed in us. And if you recall last week in verse 10 of chapter 3, Paul told us that we have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so it is not just, again, an arbitrary list, but this is actually Christ, the image of our creator being formed into us. And so last week it was put these things off. This week it's put these things on. By the way, if you don't put some new things on after taking some old things off, you are likely to go back and put back on the old things that you took off. And so he is telling us, put on the characteristics, be clothed in the character of Jesus. When people look at the church, they should see Jesus. When people walk into this room, they should experience Christ through us because we are embodied with the character of Jesus. This past week was Halloween on Tuesday, so we did the trick-or-treat thing with our kids. And we live in one of those neighborhoods that has the street that everybody drives to our neighborhood to go to that street. We have one of those in our neighborhood. So we didn't have to drive anywhere. We just walked a couple of blocks. It was a beautiful night. We walked a couple of blocks south to Upland, and we began to do the trick-or-treating thing with our kids. And Halloween is that one night when kids get to be a little version of whatever they want to be. And as we walked up and down that crowded street, everywhere that I looked, I saw little princesses, and I saw little superheroes, and I saw a lot of Marios and Luigis this year, and I saw those blow-up dinosaur things that people are walking around in with a fan on the inside. Everywhere I looked, there were little versions of these people that were dressed up with what, as whatever they wanted to be. But I wonder, when the world looks at us, what do they see? See, we're not just dressing up in a costume once a week on Sunday and calling ourselves Christians. We're not just clothed in a costume. We are clothed in his character. When the world looks at you, when the world looks at me, do they see Christ? Do they see Jesus? I want to give you this statement because if you're wondering how this happens and how this takes place in our life, think about this statement. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. If you want to become more and more of the character of Christ, spend time beholding Christ. Spend time beholding Jesus in his word, not just to get facts and trivia and knowledge, but to behold your creator, your maker, your sustainer, and your savior. We become what we behold. Behold Jesus in his presence as you slow down, unhurried in his presence. Behold Jesus in times of worship, both privately as well as what we experienced this morning corporately. Behold Jesus. Slow down and spend time beholding him because you will become what you behold. And the more time you spend with Christ, the more people will look at your life and see his qualities and his characters on display in you. So when in the church Jesus is above all, we are clothed in the character of Christ. Number two, when in the church Jesus is above all, when that is our goal, number two, we are committed to doing the hard things. 
We are committed to doing the hard things. I want you to see this in verse 13. He says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So there are two specific hard things that Paul is calling us to do as people who embody life inside the church. Number one, we are to bear with one another. Now this is not what Galatians 2, 6 is talking about when it says to bear one another's load. This is actually saying you have to like put up with each other. You have to get along with people who are not like you. You have to be okay with people who sometimes might even rub you the wrong way or maybe their personality doesn't quite jive with yours. You have to find the way to bear with one another. One theologian put it this way as he was describing what Paul is trying to communicate here. He said that what Paul is saying is restrain your natural reaction towards odd or difficult people. Do you know any of those kind of people? Okay, no finger pointing this morning. Okay, let's just be honest. How many of us have been that kind of a person? A little odd, a little difficult, maybe a little hard to get along with, right? And so what's happening here is we are being called to do life with people that are not always just like us. And maybe something is said or maybe something is done. And I have just witnessed, I'm not sure what it is, it, maybe, maybe it's a Western American church phenomenon. Those of you who are from other parts of the world, maybe you can see me afterwards and tell me if this takes place in other parts of the world as well, but I have just witnessed in 16 years of being a pastor how quickly people tend to just leave a church and go across the street or go down the street to go across town and find another church because, well, something was said or somebody rubbed me the wrong way or I just wasn't quite getting along with people. And just like that, it seems like, where, was that, where did that person go? I haven't seen them. It's like, I'm not really sure. Maybe something offended them. Now understand, there are times when it is appropriate and necessary to find another church. When, when there is false teaching going on or when there, when there is open sin that is not being dealt with or maybe when there is church hurt that is prevalent and, and, and that is ongoing in a church. But if it's just a matter of odd and difficult people, if it's just a matter of, well, maybe if I were in charge, I would do things a little bit differently, we are called to bear with one another. We are called to be the type of people that reflect something that is not very common in the world around us. Maybe you heard the story of the guy who was stranded on the desert island. He'd been there for several years all by himself on this desert island. And finally, some rescuers pulled up in a boat to the shoreline. And they get out of the boat. And the man comes down from the hillside. And he meets these rescuers. And these rescuers kind of look up on top of the hill. And they notice that there's three huts at the top of the hill. And so they ask this man, what are those three huts? And the man says, well, the hut in the middle, that's, that's my house. That's where I live. And the hut on the left, that's, that's my church. I go there every Sunday and I worship Jesus. And the hut on the right, well, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> Maybe he had a hard time getting along with odd and difficult people. Rather than bearing with one another, we tend to abandon one another, don't we? Let's not be that kind of church. Life inside City Point Church should be different than that. It's hard. It's not always easy. I get it. But we are called to this. Not only are we committing to doing the hard thing of bearing with one another, but also we are committing to do the hard thing of forgiving each other. And I kind of have this suspicion that maybe these two are connected. 
He continues in verse 13, if one has a complaint against another, maybe because somebody was odd or difficult, we are forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Notice what he says here. The key to Christian forgiveness is that we are forgiving as we have been forgiven. So forgiveness is paid forward. We are paying forward forgiveness. If you're not familiar with that term, to pay it forward, this is what happens when you pull up to the drive-thru at Starbucks and you go to pay for your drink and they tell you that the person who just left paid for your drink. And you could just drive away, but instead of driving away, you're like, you know what, I'm going to pay it forward. I'm going to pay for the drink for the person behind me. So somebody paid for your drink and you're going to pay it forward by paying for the drink for the person behind you. That's how forgiveness works among Christians. We have been forgiven. The debt of our sin has been erased. The best forgivers in the world should be Christians. And what are we doing? We are forgiving as we have been forgiven. We are paying forward what we have received. But he also says that we are also to forgive. He says, so you also must forgive. So not only is forgiveness paid forward, but forgiveness has no exceptions. There's not a list of things that we can excuse and say, well, I don't need to forgive that person for that. This doesn't mean that at times maybe you need to set up boundaries and maybe you are not going to continue to have a, a, an intimate, ongoing relationship with somebody because of what they have done to you and how they have hurt you. But that doesn't mean that you cannot still forgive them. And I think sometimes we think that forgiveness is excusing the person for what they did. Forgiveness does not excuse what was done to you, but it releases that offense. It allows God to be the judge. Sometimes we hold on to forgiveness as if it's a form of punishment towards the perpetrator. Like, I'm just going to hold on to this unforgiveness. I haven't talked to that person in years, but I'm going to hold on to this because I just feel like in some way me holding on to this is like punishment towards them. Meanwhile, they don't even know that you're still holding that grudge. And it's actually hurting and affecting you and the people around you that you do love more than that person who has offended you. And so we are called to forgive. No exceptions. You also must forgive. Are these things easy to do? No. Does it come naturally all the time to us? No. But life inside the church is going to be characterized by people who are committed to doing the hard things. How do we do the hard things? Pray for one another. Pray for the people in your life group. Pray for the people that you serve on a team with. Pray for the people that you're meeting here at City Point Church. You're going to have a hard time being mad at people that you pray for. You're going to have a hard time holding a grudge against somebody that you are con consistently praying for. Walk in humility. Give grace. None of us have arrived. None of us are the complete package. Some of us are going to need some of that forgiveness and that grace. And then pursue peace. Pursue reconciliation at all costs. Be the one to initiate that conversation. Be the one to go to that person, maybe even in the room. Somebody in this room that has hurt you, somebody in this room that maybe said something last week at the end of the service or maybe in your life group and it just kind of rubbed you the wrong way. Go to that person. You will quickly find that oftentimes it's just a matter of miscommunication. Life inside the church should be characterized by this. The easy thing to do is to leave. I'm going to go find another church where there's a bunch of perfect people, good luck. You might mess it up when you show up. I don't know. The easy thing to do is to talk bad about that person who hurt you. 
The easy thing to do is to justify the bitterness that you're holding on to. The hard thing to do is to forgive. The hard thing is to do is to forbear one another and to bear with one another. But that's what we're called to do. We are clothed in the character of Jesus. We are committed to doing the hard things. When in the church Jesus is above all, number three, we are harmonized by love. We're harmonized by love. I want you to see this in verses 14 and 15. He says, and above all these, notice that phrase. He is setting this characteristic trait above everything else that he has talked about in this paragraph and really even the preceding paragraphs. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. And be thankful. Love must be first priority above all these things. We saw this in chapter 2, verse 2, when Paul talked about being knit together in love. If you've read 1 Corinthians 13, which is often called the love chapter, we are told there that love is the greatest above faith and hope. It is the greatest of these. Why? Why love? Why is love such an important quality to be evidenced in the church among the people of God? Well, because love allows differences to complement. That's what harmony is. Harmony is a complementation of parts that are not the same. But they are parts that must still complement. They must still fit together. If you don't sing the right part, it's going to be dissonance. It's going to be disunity. But love, love then, is the way that we harmonize within the body of believers. Look again at verse 14. He says about this love, he says, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Perfect harmony is the way that the ESV has translated this. You may have a translation that reads the bond of unity or the bond of perfection. But I really love this idea of harmony because of how it, it, it pictures what should be taking place and how love leads us to this. Love doesn't force everyone to sing the same part. Instead, it allows each of us to be unique and distinct as God has made us and yet complementary to one another. And love is how we get to that place. I want to ask Joel and Christine to come up. We're going to demonstrate this. Don't clap yet. Nothing's happened. I love the idea of harmony maybe because I'm a musician, but also because I, it, really does, it really does embody what, we're, what we want to see and what we want to hear in the church. And so Joel is a tenor. Christine is an alto. I am a bona fide baritone. And so love, love will keep me from going to Christine and saying, Christine, even though you're an alto, I'm going I'm to force you to sing lead. Christine doesn't often like that because it gets out of her range and it makes her uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable range for her to sing in. So for me to go to Christine and say, I want you to sing exactly what I'm singing is forcing her to do something that she was not created to do. Love will not force somebody to sing something that God has not gifted them to do. Love is also not going to rob somebody of their part, which is what Joel often does. So Joel is a tenor, and because Joel is a tenor, he often leaves the stratosphere. And as he leaves the stratosphere, he drifts into the range that Christine sings. And he robs her of her part. So because Joel loves Christine, not just because she is his wife, but also because she is uh, his sister in Christ, because, because he wants to embody and be harmonized by love, Joel is going to stay on the tenor part and not rob Christine 
of the alto part. And so what, what harmony does then instead, it allows us to sing different parts that complement each other. It allows us to be who God has uniquely called us to be. And so we want to demonstrate the sound that love makes. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Because all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, I've nothing else fit for a king, except for a heart singing hallelujah, That's the sound. That's the sound that love makes. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. It harmonizes. We're not singing the same part. We're not forcing each other to be the same person. It's not unison. It's harmony. And the the way that we get there is by loving one another, by preferring one another and demonstrating that quality. He continues in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. But then he says this, to which indeed you were called in one body. And here's the reason why we have to function this way, by allowing love to harmonize the differences among us, because we have been called to one body. Jesus is the head of the church. That's what's the same about us. We are all members. We are all different. Some are baritones, some are altos, some are tenors. We're all different And yet we are called collectively to be one body. And so love is how we learn how to sing parts. Love is how we learn how to harmonize among our differences. Love values the differences of others. Love seeks the benefits of others and the benefits that other people's strengths bring to the body and bring to the whole. And love seeks to complement instead of compete. So when in the church, Jesus is above all. That's the sound that you're going to hear. A harmonious sound of people who are different. And yet they have chosen to sing parts that complement and fit together in a way that brings glory to Christ. So when in the church Jesus is above all, we are harmonized by love. And then number four, when in the church Jesus is above all, we are formed by timeless liturgy. We are formed by timeless liturgy. This is verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the goal, he says right at the beginning, is that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly. The word of Christ, what is that? That is the teachings of Jesus, and that is the very life that he embodied, that who Christ was and what he taught would be, would be true in your life, that that would dwell in you richly and take up permanent residence. So that's the end goal. What's the means to that end? Well, the means is the timeless liturgy. It's these, it's these three statements that he makes when he says teaching, admonishing, and singing. Liturgy is the practices of corporate worship. It's what we do when we gather. 
liturgy in a church might be the, the, the reciting of scripture or the singing of songs or the, the remembrance of the, the Lord's table communion. That's all considered liturgy. And so this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but these are the three pieces of liturgy that he is saying are going to be true and evidenced in a church where Jesus is above all, teaching one another. That is the explanation and the instruction of the ways of Jesus, admonishing one another. This is when we have to come alongside somebody and say, hey, that, that is not a reflection of the way of Jesus. Uh, there are some things in your life that need to be addressed and corrected. We are admonishing, maybe even at times warning one another. And then we are singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And if you're going to try to figure out what exactly Paul is talking about when he says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, good luck. Many have tried to categorize and determine exactly what he's talking about. The closest you're going to get is with the Psalms, the Psaltery. But when it comes to the hymns and the spiritual songs, there's really no concrete evidence what exactly he's talking about. And so what I believe Paul is saying is that there should simply be a, a variety of styles, a variety of types of songs that are sung that are a part of the liturgy of a church and singing is such a powerful means of collective worship and discipleship because it unifies us. We're all singing the same song. We are all singing the same part or some are harmonizing, but even the harmony is in line with what's being sung so that it complements. We are singing truths. We are reciting truths in musical form all forming us into the likeness of Christ. A very interesting study was done by the University of Gothenburg in Sweden. They did a study of a choir that was singing, and they wanted to understand the effects internally of corporate singing. What takes place when a group of people come together and all sing the same thing? So they put these heart monitors on this choir as they were singing, and they found two things that were really interesting. First of all, as, as soon as they began to sing, their heart rates slowed. There was a calming effect that the corporate singing had on them. But the second thing that they found is as soon as they started singing, almost immediately, their hearts began to beat synchronized with the tempo of the song. That corporately and collectively, the hearts were beating in time with the song, and with one another. I don't know if you realize that that's what was happening when we were singing a moment ago. There is this synchronization uh, internally as well as externally. Externally, we're being synchronized because we're singing the same melodies, we're singing the same words, but then internally, there is this unifying uh, reality that's taking place as our hearts are beginning to beat together as we are, as we are experiencing that music collectively. So every church has liturgy. The question is, is that liturgy, liturgy leading us to the goal? And if the goal is that Christ and the word of Christ would dwell in us richly, is the liturgy leading us to that? Some churches have a more formal liturgy. Some churches have a more modern, contemporary liturgy. It's not about this one's right and that one's wrong or this one's preferred and this one's better. It's not about that. It's not so much about how we are worshiping, but is, 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 that, is that leading us to the goal of Christ being formed in us? And so at City Point Church, there's a reason we preach the Bible the way that we preach it. We take books of the Bible, we break them up into paragraphs, and then each message we go line by line through that paragraph. Why? Because we want teaching that allows our hearts to be, to, to, be, to be indwelt by the word of Christ. There's a reason we do life groups the way that we do them here at City Point Church. 
not only an opportunity to go back and to study again so that there can be more teaching, but also so that there can be life-on-life accountability, so that there can be admonishing. From time to time, you need a, a brother or sister in Christ to come alongside of you and to lovingly share with you some things that maybe have been a blind spot for you. We are teaching. We are admonishing. There's a reason we sing the songs that we sing at City Point Church. There's a reason we sing the songs we sing even in the order in which we sing them. There is a purpose to what we are doing. Why? Because we want Christ to be formed in us and to dwell in us richly. The word of Christ dwelling in us richly. It is the liturgy that forms us. It is the mold, if you will. The songs that we sing, the preaching that we preach, the, the, the life-on-life community that we enjoy, it is a means to an end. And as Paul wraps up this paragraph in verse 17, he really wraps up what has been an extended section going all the way back to chapter 2 and verse 6. In chapter 2 and verse 6, he says, As you've received Christ, so walk in Him. And then for several paragraphs, he talks about what it looks like to walk in Christ. And now in verse 17 of our text, he's going to conclude that extended section when he says this, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. No one would accuse Paul of being inexhaustive. But just in case just in case he missed an area, just in case he missed a, 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 a section of your life that you were wondering about. In all things, whether word or indeed, in everything that you do, do it in the name of Jesus. To do something in the name of someone is to do it in their authority, is to do it for according to their purpose and for their glory. And so if you, if you want to know how to measure what you're doing in your life, If you cannot in good conscience say, I am doing this for the glory of God and with a heart of gratitude towards Christ, then don't do it. Don't do it. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's that big idea that sits over top of this paragraph. Jesus, above all, will permeate life inside the church. Our goal is not to be like Shields. I don't think we're going to accomplish that anytime soon. But our goal is to be like Christ. Our goal is for Jesus to be above all. And when Christ is above all, it's going to be felt, seen, heard, experienced among the people who call this church home. And when Jesus is above all, we will be clothed in the character of Jesus. That will, be, that will be what people see when they look at us. We will be committed to doing the hard things. We will be harmonized by love, and we will be formed by timeless liturgy. This will be the reality of life inside City Point Church when Jesus is above all. Well, we want to learn to live this morning as we conclude this time together. And so I have three questions that I hope will help the Spirit of God to bring to bear this truth from this text. Number one, my first question is this. Have you been clothed in the character of Jesus? And every single week we ask a question similar to this because it's important for us to to understand that, that being in a church is not what clothes you in Christ. Sitting in a chair in a building at 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday morning is not what, what, what forgives your sin and removes that sin debt. It is only by being clothed in the very righteousness of Christ that you can have your sins forgiven. And so has that happened for you? Have you had that experience? Is that true in your life? And if the answer is 
know or I don't know, then today I would invite you by faith, trust in Jesus alone. He's not asking you to clothe you in your own righteousness. He's not asking you to clothe yourself in your own works or your own religion. He's saying you can be clothed in my righteousness. I will take your tattered garments of sin and I will pay the price for those and you can be, you can be clothed in my robes of righteousness. And so trust Jesus today if that has not been true in your life. My second question, if it, if it is true that you have been clothed in the character of Jesus, my second question is this. Where does your life inside the church need to evidence that Jesus is above all? What needs to be corrected by the Spirit of God based on what we have seen in this text? Don't let my words change you. See what Christ has written in this text for you. See what the Spirit of God has superintended for you in this text. And let, let God do that corrective change in your life. And then number three, when the world looks at you, who do they see? Who do they see? Boy, this past Tuesday, we saw all kinds of costumes. We saw all kinds of representations of what little kids wanna, wanted to be for, for a couple of hours on a night. But when the world looks at you tomorrow, when you go to work, when you go to your class, when you go to your high school, when you go to your neighborhood, when you go to that event, when you go to that doctor's appointment, when you drive through that drive through and hope that maybe somebody will pay for your coffee in front of you. Wherever you might go this week, when the world looks at you, do they see Christ? Because when Jesus is above all, that's what people will see. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you once again for another paragraph and the faithfulness of your spirit to teach and to admonish to correct, to instruct, to point us towards Christ and to point us away from our sin. We thank you for the opportunity to gather and to be in this room. God, I pray that if there's somebody here this morning that has not put faith in Christ, I pray that today they would be clothed in your righteousness. I pray that for those of us who, who need some course correction, We've not allowed Jesus to be above all, and so therefore we've not been embodying life inside the church. I pray that whatever your spirit needs to do, that you would do it today. And Lord, I pray that even as we sing this final song, and as we are synchronized on the outside and synchronized on the inside, that even the liturgy of singing a song with truth would once again teach us and admonish us and disciple us so that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly this week and that we would take even this final song as a truth into our week and sing it and be reminded of its truth. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at citypointaz. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.